Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Out of the gates and ready to go. OutKick 360 is underway. 6th and Peabody, our daily location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Crew is all here. Bobby Carpenter will join us to talk college football headlines. That's in about 20 minutes. And uh, later, former LSU quarterback. He is a major leaguer and a NFL player at one point. Josh Booty joins us. That'll be in um, hour number three. It's, it's been a while. That was right on the edge, right before we, I went to college. And he's quarterback at the, uh, for the LSU Tigers. We'll uh, preview LSU and Ole Miss. We'll get his take on the quarterback back and forth that took place at Neyland Stadium on Saturday. Gentlemen, good afternoon. Most importantly, he's General Booty's uncle. <laughs> Was that right? So we'll talk to him about his nephew, General Booty. There Boys, we go. I hope he knows the naming story. I'm fired up and ready to go today. I've been called a lot of things by listeners, by you guys, by everyone out there. I've been, I've been a clown. Uh, I've been a homer. But maybe most importantly and most notably over the years, I've been labeled a dog hater of sorts, right? Yep. Well, I bring in today receipts. I went and got an allergy test done, and in that allergy test, I'm showing the camera right now, there's a lot of green highlighted things that I am allergic to, to things such as river birch, shagbark hickory, alternaria. These are all things I'm allergic to. Alternaria, yeah. You know what else I'm allergic to? In order. Top three allergens for me. Most allergic to. Number one, dog. Number two, Alabama. Cat. Number three, that's, that's actually eight on the list. Number three, grass. Right here, allergic to cats, dogs, and dust mites. The one animal that they test me for I'm not allergic to, cockroaches. Yeah. So I'm good with cockroaches. Oh, the Airbnbs are going not, well. Not with dogs. So you've got so, the, uh, you're allergic to horse then. That's on there. I've horse, had a son. Horse, sheep, goat, yeah. rabbit. Yeah. Allergic to all these things. And also, deathly Goldfish. allergic to dogs. They, I don't think they test for marine animals, Paul. <laughs> but everything else with fur or hair, they, they test for that you may be exposed to. Um, so look, I, I say all this to say that, you know, I don't, I don't want PETA knocking down my door. I like dogs. I like the idea of a dog. I grew up with dogs. They were all outdoor dogs. But if you house your animal inside, there's a good chance if I'm in your house, I can probably stay there for about 45 minutes before having to leave because I can't breathe anymore because i'm that allergic to dog hair why did it take this long for you to get uh this battery of tests well here's the deal i did it 10 years ago also and found out all the same things it's like i'm allergic to i want to say 49 of the 53 things they tested me for uh but then all they could do was shots i think hutton's done this before allergy shots once a week well i did it for about six months you're supposed to do it for two to four years once a week when you fall out of it it's hard to get going back to do it Going into Nashville every week to do it was difficult. Well, now they have immunotherapy, which is a drop every morning. You do it for three years, every day, and supposedly you are people can chime in and tell me if this works or not. 
I've talked to multiple people who said it worked like a charm. You don't have allergies anymore. You are, they give you a little drop that contains every allergen that you're allergic to severely. And eventually, over three to five years, it said, you no longer have the allergy. You're, you you're building your immune system to handle it. Are you hearing what I'm hearing? Three years from today, Chad's girls can get a puppy. Well, I, I'm fine or with the dog outside. A, yeah, like I, I'm also okay with a dog outside, right? Like it's just got to stay outside. So that, that may happen. Also, I, I've said a long time I'm allergic to the studio, right? That may be because this right here, this wood could be sweet gum, which I'm also allergic to, I found out today. Or sugar maple. Who knows? Or uh, Black walnut. Is this black walnut? Could be. Colin, do you know? What does that sound like? I think it's a plaster board. That doesn't sound like shag bar kickery? Because I'm allergic to that as well. <laughs> do we know people who could tell wood by knocking on it? What the I'm sure there's someone. Withrow is allergic to life, is what yeah, this is. Yeah, I'm, I'm allergic to... You've lived to, quite a remarkable life, considering I, your allergies. I need to yeah. be uh, in a contained... <laughs> Air purified state. A bubble boy. That's, yeah, pretty much. COVID lockdown was your heaven, is what you're saying. Oh, no, no. Look, I I still, I I persevere. I push through. (laughs) I go outside. I do things. Bubble boy chat. I enjoy doing things. I'm not going to let allergies stop me. I just want, I just wanted that to be on the record of my condition. I want it to be on the record that the New York Yankees are going to carry what they did yesterday into tonight. It's the first game of, of the playoffs that I feel confident about. I think the Astros who've had this long layoff are uh, going to get picked off tonight. I'm not feeling good about the Yankees in the series, but I do feel good about the start of the series tonight. I think the Yankees having won two elimination games will carry some of that into Houston tonight and steal a game from the Astros. Paul, I think that the reason you're feeling confident is you now feel like you're playing with house money. Because the only way you would have been disappointed in this season is losing in that first series. So now being in the AL Championship Series, I don't think you're going to be utterly devastated at the end of the season. Uh, if you lose I, the I Astros. I won't be utterly devastated. So but it's easier when to be more they confident lose when you series. don't really worry about it. When they lose this series, I'll be pissed. Um, and I, I'll be pissed also because they, they had such a big lead on home field advantage for this series. And again, will be... Um, you know, if they can get it to, to six or seven, not, not having home field advantage, um, which is a, a recipe for disaster against a high-quality team like the Astros. So, Did you come around on the day game after things transpired great, yesterday? Great. Fine with that? Not great playing start. it at 11 p.m. Make the, the rules before. as you go there. Yeah. <laughs> you want to open the show by you know, praising Major League Baseball no, for waiting I, three and a half I, hours? I, great decision I, by I, baseball. I still don't, don't like it, and they would have played uh, every bit as well last night. I think Terry Francona is a much better manager than Aaron Boone, but his choice of starter last night, they should have just bullpened it. That was his worst pitcher. The guy got one, left the game with one out in the first inning, down four, uh, down four. So you, said, you said he was just trying to get through like two or three innings. I, I think he would have been happy to get through, uh, through the lineup once. So yeah, maybe three innings and he didn't get through. Uh, he got one out. Well, um, you're one series away from potentially the Phillies who have a 1-0 lead on the, on the Padres. Is that going to be a house divided? Oh, yeah. With UNT? She's a big Philly? Yeah, it would be something in my house. And Simon is more of a Phillies fan, especially now, because he just spent half a week with a big family in Philly with everybody around the TV watching it, where I'm with two elderly parents, one who doesn't know what's going on, the other who 
you know, isn't staying awake for the whole game. So it's mostly me. So it's a much bigger family deal for, for his Philly side of the family. I'm firmly behind San Diego. The one team that's left that has never won a World Series. One of the few teams out there that's never done it. Well, I, uh, I think the, t- the, the Yankees would take care of San Diego. I think Philadelphia would be a tougher challenge. But I think the toughest challenge, obviously, is the Astros. I like the Yankees' chances against uh, either of those National League teams compared to what they have ahead of them now. And I think the AL team will be a big favorite against either of those teams. Who would be the favorite in the, uh, the boxing match between Jerry Jones and Robert Kraft over Roger Goodell's salary and contract? I of think all Jerry things? Jones is feistier. I think Jerry Jones would destroy him in a physical fight. I think Jerry's always been this way, but now we're starting to hear things from the inside meeting rooms with this. Yeah, Wickersham you is connected. He's got ownership we, sources that are unbelievable. So he, this is not the first time that Jerry Jones has not liked the structure for Goodell's contract. Right, he fought it last time and didn't get and a lot of And he was the one dissenting vote yesterday, 31 In to 1. In terms of saying, go ahead and begin negotiations with Goodell on another deal. Based on, and it's based on the structure of like bonus money and a few things that are very attainable. Well, right? we don't know if it'll take that shape this time. It took that shape last time because there was a were, labor deal that was pending. Yeah, but they were and going so ahead to vote said, based on their whatever they did last time. Okay, well, last time they, they kind of made it bonus-laden because they said, let's see what you do with the labor deal. They could go back to a more traditional contract with yearly salaries in this as opposed to bonuses, but basically what they did is told the committee to go, go forward with negotiating a contract. Jones is pissed that he's not on this committee that negotiates that contract because he wants So that's to, why he's the dissenting vote in the 31 to 1? Yeah. Because he wants to get on that committee? Yeah. And he's not been on that well, committee. Well, the, the fact that he turned to Robert Kraft and said, you know, don't bleep with me is terrific theater. For, for a, an owner's meeting that already has enough of it, that gave it a little bit more. Jerry Jones, by the way, played offensive line at Arkansas. Yeah. I'm taking him in a fight against Robert Kraft. He hit the brakes, by the way. He said, don't F with me. And we don't know how fast he said it a second time, but he he caught himself and then said, don't mess with me the second time. Well, so Kraft said, excuse me? Something yeah, that was and then he said, him. don't mess with me. So, so what, is that a guy in the moment catching himself and immediately toning it down? Yes. De-escalating? Yeah, it seems like. But what did, um, what did Kraft say, I wonder, to elicit that response from Jones initially anyway. Yeah, I, I don't That's know That's one thing exactly. Wickersham hasn't said. So, you know, it makes me think that whoever uh, Wickersham's talking to, it's, it's not any of Jerry's close friends. I, I'm guessing it was something that Jerry Jones deemed as being talked down to, and, and Robert Kraft was probably representing the rest of the room. And uh, that's why you had the response that you had from Jerry Jones because it, Jerry Jones does not strike me as a guy who appreciates being talked down to or told what's going to happen at any moment. And that's why you got an emotional response. I do think he was de-escalating when he came back and didn't use yeah. the F word in the that second meeting. second time, or yeah. go harder. I, I don't think, obviously, this comes from Jerry Jones. And you guys may have hit this last week when I was out for a couple of days. It is very interesting that Seth Wickersham, is it Tisha Thompson, and Don Van Natta, who's a superb investigative reporter with a long track record, they wrote the Daniel Snyder piece 
that included details of Jerry Jones is Jerry Jones's stance on this. <clears throat> Had you guys seen that Don Van Natta's uh, Twitter header is what Hutton, a picture of Don Van Natta with Jerry Jones, which oh, is hard to believe that Jerry Jones is not one of the big ownership sources. So Jerry Jones was questioned about that story. He said, I don't know anything about any of it, which is the denial you would expect. I find it hard to believe he's not a source the picture, Chad, is Don Van Natta talking to Jerry Jones, and it's on the Jumbotron at AT&T Stadium pregame. So it's like pregame, they, they show the owner, and he happens to be walking with Don Van Natta. It's not very smart by Don Van Natta to, to put this as his header there because it leads to exactly what I'm saying, yeah. people speculating, hey, that's probably a pretty good source of his. Ursay, the, the only one willing to go public yesterday, with his thoughts on Daniel Snyder, Goodell downplaying it. Jeff Pash, the the main lawyer for the league, with uh, imploring the owners to cool it until things are, you know, the investigation gets to its conclusion. Is there another owner? I, I thought about this with now that we know that Ursay is the only one to speak out on Daniel Snyder. Is there another owner outside of Daniel Snyder that is thought of as quirky? As Ursay. I think he'd probably Eccentric, be number quirky. one. On I'm, I'm trying to think of this another list. on that list that you would say this would be someone that would do something out of the ordinary and not be in line. Because I'm reading a lot of pieces about, you know, what Ursay's saying, and I read it through the lens of the reporters writing these pieces desperately want Snyder to sell the team and they want him out of the league. So there's a lot of coloring Ursay as He's one of the biggest families in football. You know, his, his family has operated the team for 50 years, and then they go through the, the Mara family, the Rooney family, the Ford family, families who have owned a team longer. But, you know, this is a, this is a big deal because this is one of the first families of football. And I'm thinking, no, I don't know that I'm going to say that. His dad took the team from Baltimore to Indianapolis. It was a controversial move. He inherited the team. Let's. It's big that he said it. It's big that any owner said it. I'm not trying to de-emphasize the fact that it was said by an owner. I just think it's being painted in a way that not only is it big because an owner said it, but because Jim Ursay said it. And my initial response was, oh, of course it was Jim Ursay who said it and no one else. And no one backed him up. Here are a couple just off the top of my head. I'm not saying they're quirky. I'm saying they're the kind of people I could see stepping out of their lane well, jerry jones yeah but um ross before his own scandal i could see saying something like that woody johnson has his moments where he'll say something mike brown in protest has said things maybe secondhand um mark davis will say something occasionally. Jeffrey so, by the Lurie. Way, the, the families they were comparing, it was the Davis family and Ursay family, both took over the same year for their respective franchises. Jeffrey Lurie will say something on occasion, and Arthur Blank is the kind of guy who would maybe take a stand. Arthur Blank maybe would be the least surprising of the names I just said. If you told me somebody was going to step out of the ballroom and say something like, Ursay said, I might have said, if you made me guess, I might have ranked Arthur Blank first. I would not have said Ursay. 
Because Ursay's got his own But issue. I understand why most people who cover the NFL want Snyder gone. I just see things through that lens because you can tell in reading the reports of it, boy, they badly want this to happen and that this is a big step in it happening. And then I see that and I hear Roger Goodell come back and say, it's pretty irresponsible to start saying things before we have all the facts. Well, I think too. So even the commissioner of the league does not have Jim Ursay's back in him stepping out to reporters and talking about this well, matter. Well, Goodell, you know, is a lawyer who's got, he's not okay, a lawyer well, maybe, again, but they've Goodell got a, a time and 31 framework. other owners didn't say it and are all basically saying, let's get the reports back first. Yeah, I think, I mean, it makes sense. Careful ownership, plotting a timeline and all that. Plus, the ESPN, art, the ESPN article made it kind of clear that there's a process by which they can do this where they simply won't help him with the stadium and without a new stadium, it won't be the moneymaker for him that NFL teams are. And if you're wanting to keep that private, you certainly don't want Ursay spouting off and stirring the pot on all that and then creating other situations. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But nonetheless, I mean, Ursay's not wrong in what he's saying, but at the same time... It's not a it's unified very, front. It's, it's not a unified front. I saw this front. It's very predictable. It's, it, it's going to be very difficult to find 24 votes. To oust him, and I think when you can just not fund him, and it's with, a longer play, yeah. but it's a play. Yeah, and when he says there's merits, I believe there's merits to remove him. If you believe every single thing said about Daniel Snyder and every report, there's absolutely merit to to remove him. But what the league is countering with, well, a couple things. The Commanders are countering with, you've already sanctioned me, and we've made improvements in the last two years because of those sanctions. And then the league is arguing, let's get everything in first. Let's, let's separate all the facts, and then we'll f- figure out what to do. Goodell mentioned a, a, the word detail quite a bit, but we received no detail in the previous investigation of this guy. And we won't on the next one either. Coming up, Bobby Carpenter gives us the details on the college football weekend that was, and we'll peek ahead to what's to come in the Week 8 slate of college football. That's next and Now Kick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. Outkick 360 rolls on. Bobby Carpenter joins us, college football analyst, Sirius XM Channel 84. Bobby, good to see you, man. Oh, it's great to see you guys, man. We're right here in the throngs of college football season. Hey, I mean, have they stopped partying no. in Knoxville? I know it's I know it's a little bit east, but I'm sure that party raged up and down I-40 all across the state. Bobby Hutton and I just recovered just now, about 15 minutes ago. We feel normal again after being You were missed. Uh, You joined us in Knoxville last year. Uh, You missed quite the scene. Pre-game, in-game, post-game, amazing. What what did you make of the game watching it? Oh, it was was remarkable. And I I told a lot of people, I think I said on here, I'm like, if if they can't slow down Tennessee, Bama's going to have a hard time winning. And, And remember this, like, you know, the Bama offense isn't what they've been. And I know, obviously, the game comes down to the final play and, you know, the, the 
cattywampus field goal that <laughs> looks like there's no realm it should be good. But you know, Bama they score on a defensive score, and then they uh, then they have a little bit of help too with a short field. Like their offense could not score and keep up with Hendon Hooker. So, and that Bama secondary isn't near as good as they've been in the past. So I I felt like despite the special teams miscue in the first half, like Tennessee was just purely outplaying Bama, except for a couple of miscues here or there. It looked fantastic. I was incredibly happy for Hooker, happy for Josh Heupel, who, you know what, I don't think was the first choice probably for that job, but he was the right choice. He's done a great job invigorating, you know, confidence or into that, into that offense. And this is a game guys, where you look back over the last 15 years, where it seems like Tennessee, they'd get close. You're like, ah, they're ready to break through. And then all of a sudden they lose this game by 21 points. And I just didn't feel like that was going to be the case for some reason. And I, I can't imagine the party in Knoxville. Someone was paying 400 bucks to sit right beside the press conf or the press box. You know, I mean, there's all kinds of fireworks and everything going and the, the field storming, the tearing down of the goalposts. Like, and I know there's people that can get hurt doing that. And it's, you know, people say it's not safe, but like, dude, to me, that's what the greatness of college football is. If you can't storm the field, after beating your rival for the first time in 15 years on a national stage in an unbelievably played game, what the heck are we doing? Like, that's the great part. That's the emotion that comes from it. And so uh, hopefully they'll be able to dig those goalposts out of the Tennessee River at some point. But until then, man, let them rest in there and rest in peace. And Tennessee doing this without Cedric Tillman, who's going to return probably yeah. in time for Kentucky in a couple of weeks. When you look at Tennessee defensively, Bobby, are they equipped – to do enough to let their offense cook and have a chance at a national championship. Isn't that now what the sights are for this Tennessee team after a win over Alabama? Is this a team that could compete in a college football playoff? I think it is. I mean, they remind me a lot of Ohio State last season where you know they can throw the football on anybody. The question is, you ask yourself right there, is it, is it the defense? And are you going to be able to get timely stops? And that's what it comes down to now in college football. I mean, Georgia was an anomaly last year. And they're an aberration. Like, very rarely do you have a team now that is a defensive-dominated team. And even in the big game, their offense came to play. But it's always on the offensive side. So Tennessee can score with anyone. I think they can get timely stops. They did a pretty decent job bottling up Bama's run game when they needed to. I will say this. I mean, Nick Saban didn't help himself throwing it three straight times before they ultimately kicked that field goal at the end. But I, I think they have what it takes. They're going to have to continue to improve. And you got to stay sharp. You don't want to peak right now in the middle of the season. And the bigger thing for me is like they're going to be amped up to play Georgia. Like That's, that's going to happen. Um, the bigger thing is, like, can they get amped up to play Kentucky now? Because Kentucky's a good team. They've got a good defense. And if Will Levis is back, like that's where you worry about. You win this big game. And it's not necessarily the handling of adversity sometimes, but it's the handling of success. Because like you guys said, you just recovered. These are 18 to 22-year-olds. Well, Hennon Hooker's 24, so he might be a little more mature. But this is the first time that they've had their shoulders rubbed and they're, you know, been just loved on for an entire week and told how great they are. It's going to be up to Josh Heibel be like, come on, guys, like, let's snap it back in. I know we won't beat Alabama, but that wasn't the national championship game. Heck, that wasn't even the SEC championship. We still have half of our season to go. Bobby Carpenter, our guest, are now kick 360. So we spent a lot of time, all of us, on SEC, Big Ten, and the teams at the top. Tennessee's certainly in the mix now. They've got four with Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee, Ole Miss. 
We're talking a lot of Ohio State and Michigan. Who's the team, Bobby, we're not talking enough about that should be included in that mix outside of the, the Power Two conferences? <laughs> Power Two <laughs> Oh, you may, you angered a lot of people right there. I mean, you get used out, to look at the rankings. Yeah, I know. Believe me, I told I told someone like you could maybe see three SEC teams coming in, depending on how the Bama if they went out, or maybe heck even Ole Miss. But the the triangle between the winner of the West and then Georgia and Tennessee, how that works. I was like, and then Ohio State or Michigan, whoever I go, you could see it just two and two with two from the Big Ten, two from the SEC. I mean, those are realistic possibilities right now. Um, the one team that it's gonna, it's interesting. Like I thought they'd be good this year. I thought they'd be a 10 win team and I'll granted they've got a really tough one this week, but they've just won two pretty solid games back to back against Washington and Utah. And that's, uh, UCLA and Chip Kelly and what they've been able to do. And uh, funny enough, guys, like, you know, people, when they remember Chip Kelly, they think of him at Oregon. It's run, run, fast, 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 fast. You know, throw the ball, run a play every 15 to 20 seconds. But if you watch him's teams play at UCLA, um, they're very methodical. It's a little bit like Lane Kiffin, where the perception is they just want to throw it all the time. But they're a big physical team. They like to pound the football. We'll see if they can get a victory at Oregon, which I know Oregon got smoked by Georgia at the beginning of the year. But I feel like they're a better Oregon team now. And they got caught up probably in a little bit of an avalanche in the Georgia Dome or in the Mercedes Benz when that thing's just falling in on you and it's first game of the year. Um, but probably UCLA, because I'm I'm I think that they're a little bit better than maybe what everybody anticipated, but they still have a tough road. I mean, like you said, they've got Oregon this week that they've got to beat, and then they're gonna have to play USC or uh and see how they can if they can get a big stop there and uh find a way to slow down, you know, very, very talented offense. Bobby, there's a different unbeaten I wanted to ask you about of the Big 12. That's TCU. A year ago, yeah. they were 5-7. and seven. They run Gary Patterson out of town. They hire Sonny Dykes. They're undefeated after a 14-point comeback in the fourth quarter to defeat Mike Gundy in Oklahoma State, another undefeated in two overtimes. They've got Kansas State, who's also undefeated in the Big 12 this weekend, and then a game at Texas. Other than that... They got a pretty good shot at finishing the regular season undefeated. What what do you make of this TCU team, their chances, and the job that Sonny Dykes has done in year one? You know, I'll liken that a little bit to Tennessee, the thing that they have to be worried about. You know, you just beat Oklahoma State, and now everybody wants to crown you the de facto conference champs. Well, all right, you got Kansas State coming up. And then as you mentioned, you got Texas, who Texas, I think, is a pretty good team. I don't know if they're, you know, a national championship caliber team, but they're probably hovering. Somewhere between eight and fifteen, yeah. eight and sixteen. Kansas State, Bobby, feels like the equivalent of Kentucky to Tennessee yeah. in a couple of 100%. weeks. In terms of that's a landmine waiting to happen at home for those teams. You no, know, it's amazing because you look at the parallels. Like they've got Adrian Martinez, who couldn't get it done in Nebraska, couldn't seem to win there. Now he's doing a great at Kansas he hasn't State. Thrown an interception. He's one of two yeah. quarterbacks who hasn't thrown an interception. That's all he did at Nebraska was throw <laughs> timely interceptions. For the it other team, make, not not throwing a one. It's crazy. Believe me, it doesn't make sense. I'm I'm talking, I'm watching this. I'm like, this is the same dude I watched for three to four years at Nebraska, just give away games late, and now all of a sudden, you know, he has a team that's ranked in the top twenty. That you know what could be first place in the Big Twelve. Same thing with like Will Levis. Like couldn't you know couldn't win the job at Penn State. Now he's down at Kentucky, and people are talking about him as a first round draft pick. You know when he's healthy, but you know Kansas State, very similar, tough defense gritty team, you know, not all that pretty. Um, I will say this, like 
Duggan's done a great job. Wasn't even the starter at the beginning of the season. You know, gets beaten out, comes in and played. But it's the handling of success for those guys. You know, you know Gary Patterson, great coach. The the well, I, I talked to their play by play guy with Jacob Hester last week before the game, and you know, so often you see a new coach come in and it's you know a portal, you know portal rebuild, and he goes, it really wasn't a portal rebuild. There was a lot of talent. But it was maybe moving that talent around. He called it a portal refill at maybe a couple key positions, making sure you get the right guys. But you know, I, I'm a I'm a believer in the fact that you know, I think building programs it takes a couple years, and you almost have to kind of knock on the door before you get invited to the party. And I don't think TCU will be able to navigate the rest of this season undefeated. It wouldn't surprise me if they're you know an 11 win team, but I I could not imagine them governing the rest of their season without a loss, given the fact they've got two tough games. And frankly, gentlemen, watching college football, you don't have to lose to a team that's good. You can lose to almost anybody. I feel like after the big breakthrough into the college football player playoff last year, Michigan hasn't really been talked about. I don't know if it's the perceived gap between them and Ohio State. What did the big win against Penn State do for them, and what's your assessment of of where they are and how close to Penn uh, to Ohio State they may be? Well, you know, it's they're a little bit like Georgia last year. It's because you know they score a lot of points, but they don't throw the ball. And so, you know, while long runs are great, and they were great for us growing up in the '90s, you watch Donovan Edwards rip off you know a long run, Blake Corum, I and mean, these guys are really good. And you know, they beat up Penn State. Pretty good. They dominated that game. I mean, Penn State and James Franklin to be up in the third quarter, he had to be looking around counting his lucky stars based upon you know the fact that they were really getting their butt kicked and they just kind of big played them a little bit. But I think Michigan's a good team. Their defense is much better, I think, than people thought they'd be. They, there wasn't near this cataclysmic drop with the departure of some elite players to the NFL. Um, but they haven't, like you said, that was kind of their first test. I mean, it's similar to Ohio State. They played Notre Dame, but you know Notre Dame doesn't appear to be that good. I would be shocked if both Ohio State and Michigan aren't eleven and zero heading into that final weekend, based upon how they've played and how Michigan ultimately looks this year. Because I think they have a renewed sense of confidence from being able to get that big victory against Ohio State, winning the Big Ten, and ultimately making their first CFP. Bobby Carpenter and Jacob Hester on SiriusXM Channel eighty four uh, throughout the week. If you want more content and. Uh, college football discussion just like this bobby always great man hope you're well and uh, enjoy the the upcoming weekend we'll recap next week oh absolutely gentlemen this is uh it's a, maybe not quite as good a slate as last week but this is a pretty darn good college football slate once again and here we go november's around the corner conference race is on there's a lot of discussion ahead there's bobby carpenter at b carp three is where you can find him always great to catch up with him um one of the best you know, we talk about those undefeated teams. One we didn't bring up was Clemson. You look at what they have left. To me, that is the easiest pick to go undefeated mm. the rest of the way. To get to the college football playoff undefeated, Clemson's got a relatively easy road to get there. UCLA this week in, in Eugene. So Chip Kelly's going back to Eugene. And he went back as the head coach at UCLA during the COVID year whenever it was an empty stadium. Yeah. This will be a different animal. And this will also be, I mean, I'm trying to figure everything out of my head here. This is the last meeting there for Chip Kelly and UCLA, unless they want to do some non-conference thing moving forward. Doesn't it feel like so, so long ago? That seems like ancient history to, to COVID me. COVID year? No, uh, Chip, oh, Chip Kelly, Kelly at Oregon. Yeah. 
because Eagles and 49ers happen in between before he's had a, a, a pretty long run now at UCLA, you know, since taking over there. And he's got, he's got, they're six and oh, they're averaging more than 200 yards rushing, nearly 300 yards passing around 30 minutes of time of possession, which is not what they were known for, you know, in the, the Mariota previous regime era where it's just run up and down the field. He's I think they're 67 though credit. in uh, adjusted defense and, and yards per play. That That's what's probably going to get them at some point. I, I'm guessing this weekend at Oregon, Oregon should win that game, but you know what? I thought Utah should have won that game too, and they beat Utah. So they've continued to surprise yeah. and hang in there. So it's a team to reckon with. UCLA has lost seven straight games in Eugene. And this just feels... I think we have, we have overlooked Oregon since that week one destruction, you know, but I think UCLA has been overlooked even more and they're the unbeaten team here. It, well, it Eugene, feels like Oregon is expected to win this game. Eugene That's the way. also is one of the few tough environments in the Pac-12. Fair. A, a legitimate tough road trip with fans and noise and everything else. You don't get that in a number of places in the Pac-12. You'll get that at Oregon. Though you've got a coach who could should be able to prepare his team for it, having been in the middle of it. The other team that we are not talking about enough unbeaten is Ole Miss. Just because of you know the the transfer portal refill, as Bobby put it, and knowing that they they control everything in front of them. What if the one scenario no one's mentioning is what is what if Ole Miss is the one loss team? in the SEC, and they don't go to the SEC championship game with the schedule they're about to go through. That'd be a hell of a story considering what we're looking at in front of us now. Again, it's... If they only have one loss, they've got every bit the claim of a one-loss Tennessee team with that schedule. Tennessee's got a very similar schedule too, but they would both have you know probably equal claim at that point to a spot in the playoff. Here's what's remarkable. Ole Miss had not won 10 games since David Cutcliffe was the coach until Lane Kiffin did it a year ago. The assumption was, well, now they lose everyone, so they're going to try to recreate this by bringing in a bunch of top-notch transfers, but it's not going to work, right? Lane Kiffin's going to go back to 7-5, and five, and that's going to be that's going to be the Their new baseline. barrier for Ole Miss before Lane Kiffin finds another job. Well, here's Lane Kiffin, undefeated, granted, Weak schedule, really one huge test in Kentucky at home. Bottom heavy schedule. Where they blew a 13-point lead and held on with, with a strip sacked in the game. But go to LSU and win on CBS on Saturday. Right. It gets really interesting. Well, and the, the reason why I think it was easy to say Ole Miss is going to be the 10-win team that drops off is they were losing Matt Corral. Will Levis didn't leave Kentucky. So if you're looking at the 10-win teams and seeing which direction they're going – Kentucky was picked second in the East. Yep. And Ole Miss is picked beneath A&M, Arkansas. So you, you start to think about the quarterbacks that were returning. And they're not just the quarterback that that's in the NFL from Ole Miss, but the coordinators that departed. And you're thinking, well, and, and, and the fact that Kiffin was trying to flirt with Miami. And you're thinking, ah, this, this doesn't have a great recipe to it. No one thought Tennessee would be unbeaten today. And no one's going to predict Ole Miss to only have one loss in December. That's the only reason I bring it up. Here, here's the one thing I'd say, though. If Tennessee has one loss, it's probably Georgia, right? If Alabama has one loss, it's Tennessee. If Georgia has one loss, it's probably Tennessee or Alabama. Yes. Right? 
if Ole Miss has one loss, it's not to a team of the same caliber. It could be to Bama. They play Bama. Yeah, they, it would yeah. be Bama. Okay. Yeah, sorry. I, was, could, I, could I, I, I perused it quickly, and, and I missed that. What if it is not to Bama? Then I would. that would be a disqualifier for me. But they beat Bama, and, and you're saying Bama, Bama beats yeah. Georgia? Yeah, right. yeah then they have again. a win over Bama. Like, there's no... There's yeah, no, you're right. No, they would have the same resume. Let me put it this way. With those teams, there's no bad 11-1 record. No, no, no. <laughs> no. Route. But because if, if Tennessee were to get to 11-1 and not lose to Georgia, well, they're playing for the SEC championship against Bama or someone else if the only loss is, to, let's say, Kentucky. Right. And then they beat Georgia. Well, then they're, I mean. I was going around the tailgate on Saturday still, throwing still, this out, and I was mentioning three three scenarios, three yeah. teams. And I, I'm thinking today, like, Ole Miss could also join that mix. Yep. And they have they they have a chance to prove it. They, it's right there in front of them. Tennessee needs to take care of Kentucky and then move on. And it they, again, they're in the scenario even with the loss to Georgia now by but beating. But still, Bama. to my point, if if Ole Miss beats Bama and loses to LSU, A and M, Arkansas, or Mississippi State, it's not as strong as Tennessee being one loss to Georgia. But see, if they do that, they're likely playing Georgia or Tennessee for the SEC title. Yeah, they're right so now. They're because they would own there. the head-to-head with Bama. Right. Yeah, so they're going to they give Bama a second loss, right? Yeah, yes. they rectify and, it there. And based on the loss last week, Ole Miss is leading the West right now. Here's what's crazy. I think Ole Miss was picked fourth or fifth in the West preseason. I think it was fourth, but I may be wrong on that. They're the, not as good a team. But let's say State they're let's say they're picked fourth. They're you know in the top ten right now. Tennessee was picked third in the SEC East. They're third in America, halfway through the year. It's an unpredictable sport at times. But now they're still Miss the you know Seventh, Ohio State eighth, and Georgia eighth, right there. They're eighth. Yeah, I mean it's a very comparable jump. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how Lane Kiffin can coach. But the, the, yes, but the thing is, Paul, you said they're not that good. They're not as good. I don't well, they know haven't how good played they as good a competition, they get so we'll a find out. To prove it here, yeah, in these we last didn't know spots. Tennessee was Saturday's this good. a big day because I think they're oh, right yeah. now one point underdog yes. at LSU. Yep. Go to LSU and win in a hostile environment, and we're going to be talking a lot differently about Ole Miss. And they next get week. a similar break with a two uh, thirty Central start as opposed to night game. Oh, but we'll see. LSU twice in a row I, I doesn't, doesn't get night games against prime opponents. Two thirty on CBS is way different than 11 a.m. in Baton Rouge in terms of it's noise. It's a notch better, but it's not and, the, the well, slot. Coming off the what they just did to Florida, it's going to be a good environment. Yeah, it's always going to be a good yeah. environment. It's still not the slot. Wasn't a good environment in the fourth quarter of that Tennessee game. <laughs> <laughs> Ask Caroline Fenton, our buddy, who was there. Oh, no, wait, she wasn't. She was in the parking lot with the rest of the LSU oh. fans that left the stadium. And she brought some Tennessee fans with her. Outkick 360 is where you can do that. You can search us out. We hope you'll uh, like, follow, and uh, share the broadcast or the podcast wherever you download your audio. Coming up, primary complaint on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13.
And we're live at 6th and Peabody in Music City, Nashville, Tennessee, with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. We've got headlines coming up. Big discussion on the NFL, college football later. Josh Booty, former LSU quarterback, will join us. We'll talk LSU, Ole Miss, and more. But at this time every week, it's time for Primary Complaint. It's time to air our top grievance of the week. You can complain all you want. My job is so unfulfilling. Don't run away from your feelings. It's time for Primary Complaint on Outkick 360. Guys, my primary complaint this week, make things easier, not more difficult, especially after massive football games. There's a reason why we're in the back of a pickup truck. And it's because police, for obvious reasons, had the ingress shut down where the two lanes coming by Neyland Stadium were shut down and you could exit on the other two lanes, which is the right lane of traffic you would turn out and go. Well, they had it shut down for a mile and a half, according to the police officer, not allowing Ubers to pick up until the end of that stretch. My thing is, I understand why you don't want cars coming right down there by and you have a massive traffic jam. Just open up the other lane that you've shut down for all of the cars trying to get out. That would allow for a faster process. And to me, it makes common sense. It's total sense. Make things easier, not more difficult. That's my primary complaint. I was in that with you, Hutton. Totally agree. Hey, quick shout out to my buddy Brock who is listening on 104.7 Sports Radio in Cookville, driving through right now. Did not know we were on that station. We're on other fine stations as well. We thank Brock. Thank we you, thank Brock. all of our fine radio affiliates. My primary complaint, and this will probably piss some of you off, but whatever, I'm going to say it anyway. I'm not anti-American. I'm a patriotic guy. I stand for the national anthem. I do all these things. But if you are a concession worker at a major college football game, I'm looking at you, Neyland Stadium, and you're in the concourse away from the grandstands, away from the field, you cannot stop for the national anthem. You have to continue taking orders because those people in line are trying to get to their seats to see the running through the tee or the kickoff like we were. So when you stop for the entire national anthem, you are breaking everyone's experience because they can't get back to their seats in time. And don't tell me just go to the concession earlier. We got in 40 minutes early to go to the concession. We were in line for 35 minutes. You cannot stop, not even for the national anthem. That is my primary complaint. My primary complaint is Regents Bank. Yeah, I should probably have this thing set up where I take a picture of my check and it's deposited. But occasionally I need to deposit a check. Regions Bank is right near where I go to work out. That's convenient. I drive to the ATM in the parking lot. Last three times, the ATM in the parking lot is not set up to take a check. Oh. It either doesn't even have the deposit button active or spits the check back. I drive around. I go to the uh, ATM in the lobby. That's worked twice. Last time it didn't work. I have to go deal with a, a person at the desk. I say, hey, you know, your ATM in the parking lot. It, it, it just doesn't take checks. It, it won't let me deposit. And she says, oh, we don't even own that ATM. Well, I have a problem with this. It's your bank. It's your property. I'm a client. If you, and your excuse is that you don't own the ATM? I want you to be responsible for taking my money. And this thing is 12 feet from your building. 
Buy it back. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. No, well, maybe they can't find them. Why would you have an ATM right by a bank and not service it? It's got your name on it. It's a, it, it runs your software. So I, I, I don't understand it. But the ATM thing, one of the worst things that's ever happened legislation-wise, and I know there's lots of things that affect people worse, is, is the government giving in to the banks to charge significant money to get your money. A quarter for a fee, that, that's fine. Three dollars and twenty-five cents for me to go take out one hundred fifty bucks to get from your my hands on the own money, money yeah. is absolutely ridiculous, and that's this uh, lobbyists getting their way. Do, it's a scam. Do you guys agree or disagree on the national anthem for the concession? No, workers? you're absolutely right. Yeah, Listen, the, they, they're obligated to get people to their seats. You the 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 flag and the band is not visible where chad is describing this you yeah. can hear it based on the echo through the concourse take off your hat it would be like the anthem the playing moment. outside at sixth and peabody and us being able to hear it in our studio while doing the show well it's you're it, working it, they're working yeah they're not if you're a fan. in line and you want to stop I, I wouldn't appreciate that if i was back there behind them but they decided to stop that's the patron's decision if you're an employee of the building Continue and it's your work. job to keep get people going, you don't stop. Danny White but should not give like that But it seems like they option. were told to stop. Right. It was very uniform. We're all going to stop, take our hat off, and turn some, one direction. Probably didn't even know where the flag was. Facing right. Right. Yeah, well, you take your hats off no clue and where continue. Um, we've got the headlines when we return. Christian McCaffrey rumored to be the big player on the move at the NFL trade deadline. NLCS, ALCS, SEC headlines and more. Outkick 360 rolls on in hour two across the Outkick Network.